So guys, it looks like I am really doing monthly pods with Vuk and Todd. Today's guest, as you can all see, is again, Todd Purris. But like any good host, I am gonna be serving Todd a very special dish. A platter of an amalgamated monstrosity of unknown origin. And all of you are gonna dig in as well. <laughs> Because we are going to be talking about uh, cryptid, or is it really a cryptid? It appears on a lot of cryptid wikis, but nobody in this community ever talks about it. Yet, it was one of the greatest blunders in the history of biological science. These cryptozoology folks don't care about cryptids once they are given names and cataloged in the scientific record, and kept there for 50 years. So, without further ado, get your forks ready, or pitchforks, because we are about to dig into the silly little mystery mysterious fish that never was. Okay, Todd, thank you for joining me the third time this week. <laughs> thank you for having me back. I'm uh, as stoked as I was the first time this week to be here. Uh huh. Well, probably listeners will not hear this until like December or something, but for the listeners, <laughs> like Todd has been filming three episodes with me this week. That's perfect. December, it'll be, well, it's going to be here before we know it, Vuk. I was just saying to uh, Allie that like we have to start Christmas shopping and all that stuff already, which uh, a whole thing, but this is a a, a very fun thing to look forward to in December. Oh yeah, I'm also like keeping this episode a bit short because it's a little quirky thing that I've been aware of a few years. I did a whole episode on it in Darwin's Deviations, but it's a topic that nobody ever talks about in the cryptid community. Uh, do you know what we're going to talk about? Only because you told me, Vuk, and I'm. it's again one of the many things that you've sent me and uh, I had never heard of before or that like, yeah, like you said, I don't think I've ever heard this talked about in the actual community but mm -hmm. i'm uh i'm stoked to get into some discussions about this little fish here i mean <laughs> do you say ompax is that how you say it? i have no <laughs> idea how it's pronounced i pronounce it ompax ompax okay i'm gonna go with how you say it because you, yeah. you do words better than i do but yeah no i have a uh, very very little knowledge about this so i'm ready for okay. uh for, for education time i wanted to ask you dude like have you ever eaten an atrocious chimeric fish of unknown origin <laughs> I, I can't say that i have okay can't, my but do you like going like to sushi bars or, or seafood restaurants? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say I love seafood. But uh, to be honest, my seafood consumption in the last 15 years is down significantly because my partner, uh, Ali, does not like seafood at all. So I have to do it on my own. And I'm, I'm much less motivated to treat myself to nice meals when it's just mm -hmm. for me. <laughs> But yes, I have in the past enjoyed some wild sushi. Okay, but the thing is, dude, like most of the time when you're eating, especially in restaurants or sushi bars, fish, you are not getting the fish that you ordered. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. I mean, there was even in America, at least when you went to most uh, like a TGI Fridays or these big chain restaurants and you would get, what was it, the calamari or the fried squid? It was actually like fried pig anus, I believe was what they were serving <laughs> you. So, um, you know, yeah, I ate plenty of pig anus as under the assumption that it was fried squid in my youth. <laughs> oh man, uh, no, I did not hear of that, but uh, there have been a few scientific studies where they took samples of fish that they ordered from restaurants based on the menu, like the species. Um, mm -hmm. They took DNA samples of these fish and ran them and determined that most of the time you will not get the fish that you ordered. <laughs> <laughs> That's not surprising to me at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I spent a little bit of time in the restaurant industry. And uh, yeah, there's not much that, that surprises me. I also grew up eating fish sticks. That was like the main way I consumed fish as a kid, I'd say. So who knows what kind of fish were in there? <laughs> so we can honestly say that you probably did eat some kind of chimeric amalgamation of unknown origin. Yes, <laughs> yes absolutely. I have. <laughs> 
No worries, dude, because you are not alone in that. And what we're going to talk about now is a similar thing that happened like maybe 150 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm ready. I'm uh, about three cups of coffee into the day here, so uh-huh. I might be a little extra chatty. <laughs> and this is not just in America. Our story today happened in Queensland, Australia <laughs> in 1872. Oh, wow. okay. Wonderful. Oh, yeah. This is like a decade after Charles Darwin published The Origin of species. So back then in 1872, like Australia was booming with naturalists who were trying to catalog as many species as they can because mm-hmm. Charles Darwin's, you know, theory of evolution of evolution was just published. It has mm-hmm. not been accepted as well in Australia, yeah. but there are these, you know, scientists who are trying to catalog as many species as they can, especially, you know, in Australia because their wildlife is crazy, uh, evolutionarily yeah. speaking. So, you know, they're cataloging all these species and and trying to use them as fodder for for the Darwinian side of the debate. Now, this happened in Gainda, which is a small town that now has a population of 2,000 people in the northern part of Queensland, Australia, that lays on the the bay of the Burnett River. Now, this Burnett River is very significant because there, two years prior to this happening, this story we're going to talk about, in the Burnett River in Gainda was the discovery of the Queensland lungfish. Ooh, what is that? Okay, so the lungfish is a group of fish who are able to breathe both through gills and through lungs, obviously. Oh, whoa. Oh, yeah. That's cool. But they're, they're fish, not amphibians? or is- Oh, they are a transitional form between fish and amphibians. Oh, they wow. are technically fish, but their anatomical structures point towards how amphibians evolved from fish. Amazing. Okay, mm-hmm. and that was two years before this whole thing went, went down, they discovered this guy? Mm-hmm. So the Queensland lungfish, the Australian one, was the sixth one discovered. But the first okay. one in Australia, uh, there was one in South America and four in Africa. And wow. these were major discoveries because, you know, they give credence to the Darwinian side of the debate. They are transitional forms between fish and amphibians. Yes. You know? But the thing yeah, is, no. uh, the, the, the Queensland lungfish is much more primitive. So the African ones are notorious for being able to survive if their watering hole completely dries up, you know? Okay. They produce a mucus covering around themselves. They form a cocoon of mucus and then wow. lay covered in mud and breathe air until there is Whoa. more, you know, water. That, and how long can they exi- can they survive like that? I am not certain, but I think a few months. But any amount of time is pretty uh, impressive in my I mm-hmm. my book. That's amazing. The Queensland one cannot. It can only survive a few days breathing air, but it needs to be constantly moist. It cannot uh, live without any type of moisture. Is its mucus sac just not as good? Like cocoon just doesn't do it? It, it does not create a covering of mucus. So <sighs> evolutionarily, maybe, you know amphibians evolved from the populations that we now see in Africa. But the Australian one is a kind of relic or remnant, you know, of the past. Gotcha. Like okay. if you if you look at the fossil records, like these things have not changed for the last hundred million years at all. Whoa. Yeah. That's amazing. And they still like are prevalent today. Like there are oh, yeah. plenty they of are, fish around. They are considered vulnerable. So they can be still found in the Burnett River and another river close to it and have been introduced artificially to some other watering holes around the area but there have been like i think last year even there was some controversy where people wanted to create dams or something and that would have totally like made this fish extinct it is not endangered per se now but it is illegal to fish it wow i I just googled it to look at this thing because i love how Mm -hmm. you know underwater creatures and i love how it's it's much more serpentine than i thought it was gonna be or tadpole like i guess might be a better better way to speaking of tadpoles (laughs) you, you know what's interesting so the african one they, uh-huh. when they're babies, their larvae have external gills, just like tadpoles of amphibians, you know? Oh, wow. It's not internal, it's external gills. But the Queensland, Australian one, does not have external gills. So that's just, you know, another thing that says, oh, this is a more primitive form. So it's just like a slice of one point in the evolution of fish to amphibian, but still it, it is the more primitive form than, say, the African ones, which are closer to the actual species that gave birth to amphibians. And according to Darwin and evolution, that uh, environmental pressures that created those differences, is that right? Uh, Probably, but you you need to think about this. So these things are only found in the Southern Hemisphere. It's very interesting. So when you think about how we know that the continents were all together in, you know, Pangaea in a 
supercontinent. Mm -hmm. And how do we know that the continents split apart? It's because you can find these very similar lineages of creatures on different continents. Because South America, Africa, and Australia were all joined together, there were populations of the ancestors of these fish we have now. And when the three continents split apart, then these different populations uh, went their separate courses in evolution, you know? That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. I never yeah. thought about, <laughs> I never thought about it like that. That's awesome. Oh yeah, so th this was a major discovery. It is a discovery of a transitional species, so one point toward evolution, but also, you know, you found a group of animals that you know are present in South America and Africa, but now it's in Australia, so that yeah. gives one point towards uh, the theory that everything was unified under Pangaea. That's amazing. And yeah, I mean, what what better uh definition of liminal creature? I mean, this is a, is this what they're looking for as far as like uh, I don't even know if they still look. growing up I always heard about people looking for like the missing link in the evolution between you know primate to human or whatever it was mm -hmm. is this like the uh, fish to amphibian version of that yeah exactly it's a transitional form that's cool oh yeah that's a better way of putting it <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just laying the groundwork here because it ties into why what we're gonna talk about even occurred <laughs> yeah. but I, I wanted to say about the slungfish like the discovery of it is a whole topic for itself for a whole episode like there was so much drama around it. Some guy went to a local museum and asked, like, why don't you have specimens of this fish we see in this watering hole? And the guy in the museum was, was like, what fish? And then the guy later on uh, gave him a whole barrel of dried up uh, specimens of this fish. Are you kidding? Yeah, uh, this fish that is a very important discovery. And that's how this was discovered. And then there was a whole dispute about the naming and who actually has credit for discovering it. And it went to court and it's a whole thing in itself. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Well, I look forward to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> but this event we're going to talk about happens two years after that, but at the same place in Gainda. Now, okay. all the sources say that this happened in Gainda Station and referencing prisoners in the station. So I have no fucking clue what kind of station this is. Is this a penal <laughs> colony? Is this a prison? I don't know. In August of 1872, a guy named Carl Theodore Steiger, who was then the director of the Brisbane Museum, came to this station. I don't know why a museum director would come visit a penal colony, but Okay, yeah. so the, the locals who are referred in all sources as prisoners were like excited for this museum curator guy to be visiting their, their prison for some reason. <laughs> okay, weird, but, but I'll take it. Oh yeah, and decided to prepare like a whole breakfast ceremony for him. So for breakfast, they served him a fish. <laughs> and he looked okay. at the fish and saw that something is not right because it looked like it had the tail of an eel, but the body and head of this lungfish that was discovered two years prior but it did Weird. not look like a lungfish it looked like it had a bill like a platypus bill on it <laughs> Yeah, that's even wow. Okay, and he he was served this like whole like platypus head bill everything, and was like what he what? was served this whole weird atrocious monstrosity cooked. Oh, it looks kind of like that lungfish everybody is talking about, but it has the tail of an eel and. Is this a beak? It has the head of a platypus. Where did you find such a discovery? Oh, sir, it was caught 10 miles from here by Aboriginal people in just a single water hole in the Burnett River. Wait, that's the same river where they discovered that lungfish two years ago. Uh, precisely, sir. <gasps> this is miraculous. Are you able to catch another one? Um, no, sir. It sometimes takes a month between two catches. Oh, such a shame. Yes, sir. Unfortunately, it is very rare. And one of a kind. So enjoy your meals. He was served to That's eat, amazing. Eat that. And he asked them, like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> <laughs> and they said like, oh, this is a fish that we have caught in a watering hole in the Burnett River, the same watering hole where the lungfish was discovered two years ago. And Amazing. then he asked like, can we go hunt it down, you know? And they said, well, mm -hmm. no, because it takes a few months until we have two catches of it. Like, it's very rare. So we decided since we caught this rare fish to serve it to you, like as, as you know, honor or something. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so Carl Theodor Steiger, knowing that the lungfish was discovered 
discovered there two years ago and thinking, wow, this may be a new lungfish species and this needs to be documented yeah. because if it is another lungfish species, that's quite a major, you know, discovery and another point to the Darwinian debate. So absolutely. You know what he did? <laughs> What? He, he had a road inspector take a piece of paper and draw what the fish looks like. <laughs> a road inspector, not an ichthyologist. Hey, you random person here in the room. Ah, who, me? Yes, you. You are a road inspector. Surely you know a lot about fish anatomy. Well, sure. We see a lot of fish while constructing roads in deserts. Here, take this napkin. Just illustrate this thing. But quickly before I eat it. Ah, okay, sir. Mm. Yeah. It looks very fishy. <laughs> and it has a beak. Very beaky too. But it's kind of like a spatula. No, this is just my spoon. Well, damn, I already drew it. It's done. Oh, good enough, I guess. Oh, I'm starving. Time to dig in. Okay, now I, I don't know anything about 1870s Australia at all, but the fact that it seems like prisoners are fishing for their own meals and road inspectors <laughs> are uh, documenting new species, I feel like I'm just disconnected from this, this society. I don't know what's going on here, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, this, this story is like very weird. I don't know if this is a penal colony or not, but they're referred to as prisoners. For some reason, a museum curator is there. They serve him an atrocity. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tells this road inspector to draw it because, hey, road inspectors are good at drawing. So they surely know yeah. how to draw fish anatomy, you know? <laughs> it's the best. You, you work with what you got, I guess. You know, if you don't have your uh, resident biological illustrator or whatever you call him around, then sure. Road guy. But like, like I, said, I just Googled this thing and looked at it again. And I can't imagine like having this presented to me as <laughs> like, here's the here's the delicacy. Thank you for coming to our prison. <laughs> well, amazing. he actually ate it <laughs> oh wow okay well yeah. i guess you know it's it's a big uh uh faux pas to to not eat what you're served from your hosts uh-huh. <laughs> it, it's so funny like the dude just had a road inspector draw this thing before it went cold so he can stuff his face with the, with the monstrous atrocity <laughs> This is amazing. Okay, so road inspector documents he eats, and then what happens? Okay, so Steiger held on to this for like six, seven years, this drawing and uh, his brief description of the fish, because he thought that throughout these six or seven years, somebody will catch another specimen, and then, Mm -hmm. because he already documented it first, his name would be associated with the fish, you know, like he discovered it originally. Gotcha. That's the whole reason he did this because everybody wanted to document these creatures but everybody wanted credit for it as i said like the uh, the credit of who discovered the original lungfish went to court even it was a huge thing wow for these people it was a huge deal whose name got associated with what what discovery so he thought if i document this thing now in in these circumstances if somebody else catches this fish down the line again and somebody Mm -hmm. wants to discover it i can say oh i already discovered it first totally Mm -hmm. and like are there like scientific journals at this time like is he submitting this to some sort of like you know place to document it besides just writing it down and having the road dude draw it uh we're gonna get there (laughs) okay okay (laughs) he he did he i mean he hold on to this for years and then he just could not wait any longer so he contacted a real ichthyologist in 1879 now this guy he this guy is originally french but he was working in australia at the time he has such a long name I'm going to try and pronounce it, but I'm, I'm going to be butchering French. The dude's name was François-Louis Nompard de Comte-Laporte, Comte de Castelnau. <laughs> That sounded beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so usually he is called Francis of Castelnau or just Castelnau. Now, this guy, uh, so I said Steiger was just a director at the Brisbane Museum. Now, after, mm-hmm. I think a year after this whole fish thing, he started working for the government in some kind of chemical research because he was a chemist. He was not even a biologist. Gotcha. I do know that one eucalyptus tree is named after him. So, you know, the wow. dude already has a species named after him and... 
once you yeah. once you start once you you, you can't <laughs> get back <laughs> <laughs> gotta have more uh-huh but the thing is so he's just a museum curator but this Castelnau guy he is a very very prominent scientist and he is okay. you know the guy who documents new species gives them names and writes journal entries now he spent four years studying the fauna of the Canadian lakes in Canada All right. and this is where he started looking into fish more and he became an ichthyologist after that he spent five years on an expedition across South America and then another year in South Africa also studying okay. fish then he gotcha. served as the French consul in Siam for 14 years and by this point in 1879 when he met Steiger he was the French consul in Melbourne Australia so this guy was French then went to Canada and then South America Africa Siam and now Australia the guy you know <laughs> traveled yeah. all over the world yeah that's amazing wow and how long was it until he got into all of this stuff Castelnau contacted him in 1879 with okay. this drawing of the fish he ate and the story associated with it is the drawing what I'm what I saw when you yes. sent me the Wikipedia it's, article it's, that same, it's the same drawing okay perfect I just yeah. wanted to make sure I had the right image in my head <laughs> Castelnau, what do you think? Have you ever seen anything like it? No, Stagger. It has a spoon for the face. What can it be? It can be related to the American Gars or a new special of Longfish. But it's hard to tell. There is no Popol. What are you talking about? The Popol is very important for La Poisson science. You forgot to illustrate its Popol. Oh, I actually ate it before we started drawing and it was best. I got the shits for a week after that. Yes, this means it may be poisonous. You know, the platypus thing, it has a bill as well and is poisonous. That does make sense. If the platypus exists, surely this fish exists as well. I should know. I shot it for a week. Okay, Monsieur Stagger. I will describe this creature. Thank you for the information. Grazie. You know, Castelno, you kinda lost your French accent. Hey, I've been all over the world and have millions of names in my name. I don't know who I am anymore. So Castelnau, assuming that Steiger, as a museum curator, was sure of what he saw and, you know, actually verified the existence of this thing, mm -hmm. actually gave this thing the scientific name Ompax spatuloides or spatulitis. I don't know how it's pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he also wrote a whole uh, scientific paper on the discovery of this miraculous new species. It was okay. published in the Linnaean Society of New South Wales in 1879, titled On a New Ganoid Fish from Queen. Queensland. I have the paper here. So this paper is like over a century old. Amazing. I wanted to read like what Castelnau said about meeting Steiger and uh, Steiger's uh, side of the story here. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. In the paper, he said, I have received from Mr. Steiger of the Brisbane Museum a drawing of a very remarkable fish with the following note. It is only found in a single watering hole in the Burnett River living together with Ceratodos. Uh, Ceratodos is the, you know, Queen Queensland lungfish that was already okay. known. And when in August of 1872, I was in Gainda, I got it on the breakfast table brought in by the um, racist term, I'm not going to say out loud, mm -hmm. from a distance about eight to 10 miles. Yeah, th th this is from, you know, a century yeah. ago. So it's using race racist terms. I would not <laughs> advise anybody to go read this. Very uh, you know? not surprising, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, how they treated Aboriginal people back then. Oh, yeah, yeah. No. It went on to say, I had the fish for breakfast, remarked its curious shape and asked the then road inspector to draw it for me, which he did. <laughs> Ceratodus, uh, the real lungfish, not well known then, formed the dinner. So he actually ate a real lungfish for dinner, and this atrocity uh, was for breakfast. <laughs> amazing. What a way to start your day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Eating eating vulnerable uh, species and even mythological species. <laughs> exactly. And oh, I, I have one question for you, Vuk, about mm -hmm. this drawing real quick. What is figure C? <laughs> Uh, figure C is the shape of the bill if you're looking at it from the front. <gasps> 
Okay, okay, that makes so much more sense. I'm like, what is this weird little butt crack looking drawing that is staring at me? On the <laughs> yeah, because, because because it looks like a vagina. Is that why you're asking? Oh, it do- now, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that definitely stuck <laughs> out. I just don't understand. Like, I don't look at very many, uh, I guess, biological drawings, and I was like, what is this supposed? To-? I thought maybe it was supposed to be like a weird dissection or something, but the front no, of the no. bill it, makes it's, it all. The it's sense. just uh, trying to resemble the shape of the bill if you're looking at it from the front. <laughs> now I see. It. that makes all the sense yeah. <laughs> anyway anyway steiger's note also said i was not connected with any scientific body otherwise i would have at any rate preserved the head <laughs> so you wow. know he did not have any scientists with him so you know instead of preserving the head he got a road inspector to draw it <laughs> The person who drew it is not an ichthyologist, but still is a droughtsman. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) So Castelnau went on to actually describe the whole species based on this. Now, I'm not going to read the whole paper, but this is how he starts it off. So Castelnau went on to write this about giving the species the name. He said, In our present knowledge of this singular fish, some inconvenience might arise from giving it a significant name, and I think it is preferable to design it under the mysterious historical one of Ompax. The species will wow. bear the name of Spatulaitis. Now, Spatulaitis is obviously because it looks like a spatula, because it has a bill. <laughs> But Ompax, like you need to go and research what Ompax means, what he means by mysterious historical name, because he does not want to give it a significant name since he is not still certain if this thing even exists. So Ompax (laughs) is like a word using in the closing rites of the Eleusinian mysteries from the cult of Demeter in ancient Greece. So it's like when you're doing these rituals and then you say farewell, you close off the ritual. That's really funny. Did I don't know if I told you or not, but I'm currently reading a whole book about the Lucinian mysteries uh, called the, called the immortality key. And uh, so that's the second like small synchronicity that popped up with that book. Uh, It's one of the books that Joshua Cutchin used for uh, what's called ecology of souls. And Mm -hmm. I, I had it like way before ecology of souls came out. The author did a bunch of psychedelic podcasts. I like, and I was like, that sounds cool. Cause it's all about like the uh, anthropopod, anthro, how you say that word? Anthropocentric. (laughs) Uh, Nope. Not that one. Uh, Anthropologic. That's the one. Uh, look or study of the original meaning of Eucharist being a psychedelic ritual, and it goes back like through the Eleusinian mysteries and stuff. But uh, yeah, I haven't really got too far in it. But that's really funny that that came up again. Oh, yeah. So, so th- this word "ompax" is from "conks ompax," which is what is used to close out the rites, and it just means goodbye and God bless you in a way. But then it would appear again a few years later in 1907 when uh, Alistair Crowley published a book called. Called Conks Ompax Essays in Light. Wow. So it's all over the esoteric world. And he just <laughs> took that and was like, okay, weird fish, magic, mystical, yes. <laughs> mystical. Here we go. Castelnau, <laughs> uh, I think he was a very, very good um, researcher. But w- what I shared at the start of the episode, like Charles Darwin's theories are just emerging. Australia is booming with this weird wildlife that shows us how evolution took its course, you know, in the animal mm-hmm. world. Everybody is going left and right to, to to document these species like i think Absolutely. this volume or edition or whatever where, where this was published had uh-huh. like two thousand other species described in it so you Whoa. know everybody was was out to describe species back then that's so many and like is it just fame is there money for this is it just like notoriety within the uh you know scientific community or is this just a ego type thing like they just want as many i, I, I think species. it's an ego type thing but i also think that it was much more how do i say much more honorable back then than it is now you know back in those imperial white bastard colonial days Yep, yep. It was very honorable to be a naturalist and to go to these other countries and indigenous cultures and, and you know, bastardize uh, everything you can find. Wow. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I never had that uh, kind of historical lens to view that through, but that, that lines up. Oh, yeah. So in a nutshell, this guy ate some, some fish that looked weird, had a road inspector draw it, held on to the drawing for years, could not wait on it, and asked a real researcher to describe the new species. Now, after this was described, it started appearing in official faunal lists of fish species in Queensland, Australia. Wow, okay. <laughs> because the way, the way you do uh, these publications of, let's say, uh, faunal biodiversity,
university and whatever, you're just copying and pasting information from other people. You're just listing. Like if you're going to yeah. make a database of, of thousands of species, you're not going to go and peer review a thousand different articles, you know? <laughs> totally. No, that makes so much sense. And uh, that can you can see how easily things can be kind of passed down incorrectly. <laughs> So actually doubts were expressed on the existence of the species even two years after it was described. In 1881, a guy named William John McClay included it in a faunal list of, you know, fish species in Queensland. And even then people were saying like, it's a pretty dubious to, you know, include this in lists. But then yeah. it kept appearing in lists of fish species for the next 50 years. Damn. And this whole time, obviously, no one's caught anything they claimed to be no. this fish, right? Like, no. <laughs> it's never been seen again. <laughs> no. So because, you know, everybody's copying and pasting this stupid uh, fake fish that was incorrectly given a scientific name has been just copied and pasted for over five decades in lists of genuine fish species. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't even. That's so funny. It makes so much sense, though. I mean, I would love for this thing to be real just because of how freaking cool it looks. But I don't mm -hmm. know. That's that's uh, that's like what made them finally stop uh, noting it as a real thing in these journals. Okay, so in 1930, some anonymous tipper sent a letter to a local newspaper, and that's what I want to read now. Oh, okay. A newspaper called The Bulletin. Mm -hmm. It was uh, There was an article that was published based on a letter that was sent by an anonymous tipper who used the pseudonym Warren Beanie. Okay. And this is dated August 6th, 1930. Uh, this could have even been an anniversary of Steiger's original, you know, eating of the fish because he was back wow. there in August, you know. But this is like 50, 60 years after the fact. That's amazing. <laughs> so the article went on to say, and this is like probably verbatim the, the letter that the newspaper received. Okay. A sweet scented gum of the northern parts of Queensland perpetuates the memory of Carl Theodore Steiger, who was at one time director of Brisbane Museum and was made the victim of one of the quaintest jokes in scientific history. While he was visiting Gainda Station, the hard cases there prepared a new fish for Steiger, made of the head of a lungfish, the body of a mullet, and the tail of an eel. <laughs> it was nicely cooked and placed before him for his breakfast, with the remark that it was something new, a very rare fish that had never been seen anywhere but at Gainda. Mr. Steiger was immensely interested and expressed regret that he had not seen it alive. On being told that it might be months before another was caught, he made a careful sketch of the cooked specimen before him and before he started eating it. The sketch and the description were subsequently sent to an ichthyological expert, Count Castelnau, and that gentleman named it Ampax spatulitis. Whenever a marine mystery was captured afterwards in the Gainda district, the locals would remark with a grin that it must be an Ampax. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So the residents over there played like a collective prank on uh, Steiger and based on this letter uh, created an amalgamation of the f tail of an eel, body of a mullet, and the head of a uh, lungfish. Now somewhere in some other publication they stated that Warambini later on said that they also added the bill of a platypus to the thing. Wow. <laughs> And then they cooked That's this monstrosity and gave it to him to play a prank on him. And like based on this letter and how he, he ends it, like whenever there is some kind of marine mystery found in Gainda, the residents would grin and say that it must be an Ompax because these people have been keeping the secret for 50 years. That's amazing. I love it. I love that it's a practical joke. And wow. Yeah. Now I can see the relevance of the question we started with, Vuk. <laughs> <laughs> This came out in 1930 in, in mm -hmm. what was then the bulletin, but I think that newspaper is now defunct and under a different name. Okay. Uh, now I think it's called the Sydney Morning, some Sydney Morning Her Herald, sorry. This anonymous confessor was a guy named Warren Beanie who used okay. the pseudonym for to for over a decade send in wild Bushman stories to different newspapers. Wow. And 
so you said till 1930 that was, or in 1930s this was all happening yes yes but the wow. thing is because this guy was known to the newspaper publications and they knew where this guy probably lived and from where he was sending these uh, fake bushman story letters to different publications for over a decade you cannot okay. know if this account is real or fake <laughs> yeah right yeah <laughs> Just layers of uh, of of deception there. I love it. Uh-huh. So essentially, like the letter, you know, it's like a whistleblower blowing the lid on this whole practical joke that became a huge scientific blunder in the world of ichthyology. But yet again, the same guy who is telling you this is himself a prankster who sends out Bushman tales to publications. <laughs> It's wild. It's just, uh, yeah, pranks all the way down. That's too much. And yeah, I mean, the whole thing is just so silly. Like the fact that you would be presented with this mythological fish. And if you really cared that much about like documenting new species and stuff, like why would you eat it or at least not stick around? Like, okay, a couple months. It sounds like a long time, but like it's not that long if you get to like do this thing you really want to do, right? (laughs) Yeah, I I think like at least he could save, I don't know, the head, the the skeletal structure. The head or something. The bill. Just save the bill. He didn't eat that thing, did he? <laughs> <laughs> now, you know how today these debunkers like to, you know, get their noses into everything and debunk everything and lay it to rest. Mm-hmm. So it's not just now. Like back in the 30s, we had the same people. So this news, uh, newspaper clipping, found its way to a museum okay. curator who was local there. And then he gave it to his ichthyologist buddy who was working for the museum, Gilbert P. Whitley. And Gilbert right. P. Whitley used this newspaper article to finally lay this mystery to rest and made his own uh, scientific paper named Ompax Spatulitis Castelno, a mystical Australian fish, where he essentially debunked the whole thing and ensured that its name will never appear again in any list of species. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to read how he starts this off because even he has a sense of humor. Okay. So he starts off this a paper and I have it here. It says, Oh, flesh, flesh, how art thou fishified? Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> he starts it starts it off with systematic ichthyologists usually encounter sufficient difficulties in identifying natural species without having fraudulently manufactured fishes brought before their notice by practical jokers. In the past several uh, in the past several ju- oh man, I hate reading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me too. In the past several several zoologists have a oh man. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I keep this in because it's so hard to pronounce. Several zoologists have soberly considered as actual fish specimens or more often accounts or illustrations of such which have later proved to be mere fakes, some of which have even been given scientific names, though these, of course, have no status in modern nomenclature. So that's how he uh, starts off his paper. Now, I want to read the part where he just puts the nail in the coffin on this whole thing. Okay, so this is how he ends the paper. Okay. From this account, it is obvious that Ompax Spatulitis, and he means the account of Warren Beanie in the newspaper, mm-hmm. is a purely mystical genus and species whose disgraced name must be removed from the Australian list. <laughs> the account given by Warumbini in quotation marks contains one or two minor discrepancies when compared with Castelnau's, but these may be due to a lapse of memory, which is pardonable when it is recalled that half a century had passed between the times of appearance of the two. In the modern account, for instance, the head of the lungfish is said to have been used in the preparation of Ompax, but to the present writer, it seems more likely that the head of some freshwater long tom, or perhaps even a platypus bill, may have been utilized in this strange concoction, and then signed his name. <laughs> he... he like states that there are discrepancies between what this Warumbini guy said and how the drawing looks that was given to Castelnau. But the thing is, it was drawn by a road inspector. So you can't expect a road inspector to accurately portray fish anatomy. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. What's he know? I mean, that's even if you're a great draftsman, you're uh, you can only do so much with a cooked fish or chimera thing in front of you, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, we now don't know if this is actually laid to rest because this Warambini guy is a prankster and he blew the lid on this whole thing, and you don't know if it's real or not. His side of the story, but this other guy used that as an excuse to write a paper where he can, you know, put the nail in the coffin on this thing. But still, he says, "Oh." there are, you know, a few minor discrepancies, but, you know, we we can pardon that, he says, which are pardonable. (laughs) So even when you're debunking, you you still say, okay, that's pardonable. Like, we can brush that off. Totally. Yeah, it's that little bit of ambiguity that, like, really uh, allows these things to to persist, I feel like, you know, Mm -hmm. or at least be talked about even when they're completely disproven. One thing that popped into my head when you were uh, relaying this story was when the, I'm not going to remember, I believe it was the French uh, scientists came in to actually document this and, and make it more legitimate and, and gave it the name. Is that right? Yes, yes. So like he almost made it more magical by labeling it the Ompex spatulitis or whatever. Yes. Like it sounds like a magic rich, like a magical spell or something. <laughs> and yeah. we've talked so much about like, uh, you know, labeling things scientifically and kind of taking away some of the magic that naturally or is inherent in these things. And I thought it, it stood out to me to like almost uh, re-imbue this this uh, hoax with this uh, amazing like Latin name or I don't know if it's Latin but it sounds it sounds awesome but I also think it's very interesting how this exposes you know a sociological issue present in in bio- biological research back then you had all yeah. these people who were eager to describe so many species and you have people gathering up databases of species uh, names without fact checking anything and then this goes on and on through 50 years five decades of people People just copying and pasting stuff. So is anybody doing any actual research, man? <laughs> this is a great question, Vuk. You know, it's uh, one of those things where I feel like the people executing these things probably don't have the worst of intentions, but they're caught up in something that's bigger than them, whether it's the scientific culture or just like the uh, on the more kind of out there side, like the natural entities needing to express themselves via these people, if that kind of makes sense. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's super interesting. I also wanted to say, um, or at rather ask you, do you think that this hoax may have re-mystified this little Burnett River. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I it's really interesting the way that the uh, timing all lined up there. And like like you described, this is such a liminal creature and not just like in the way that we talk about liminality, but like in, in a way that served this larger insight to uh, or at least supported a larger insight into what we think is like, you know, a base fact of our reality right now. Like that's a huge event. And I think that uh, the energy of that event kind of transforming, starting this whole thing makes a lot of sense to me and this just kind of uh, re-enchanting that energy like almost like the mythology is taking it back from the world of the science by by saying okay you you made this great scientific discovery in this little river right here but we're going to take this back by making this joke of a you know yeah taxi like <laughs> taxidermy chimera like like i love the the duality of those two ideas existing in the same place in, in the same so Gainda is now known in the annals of biological history for two very big things the miraculous discovery of the Queensland lungfish, which was a very, very important biological discovery. And then two years after that, for this fucking hoax. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I, I, but, I love but that. man, the story does not end there. Oh, wow. Okay. But the episode is ending here. Because oh, wait. In, two, in 2000, the residents of Gainda started having reports of a flap of bear sightings, what was de- deemed the Gainda bear. And this bear walked on two legs like a penguin and kept eating everything around the town. Oh, dude, that's amazing. So there's definitely something going on here. <laughs> I love it. I love uh, I'm, it. I'm that's- actually going to do another episode on that topic because it is a whole rabbit hole. Even Mysterious Universe recently did a whole article on the Gainda bear. That's amazing. I love that. And I love the idea that we covered in like the Selbyville episode that these uh, natural phenomenons or these these things can uh, lead to I- imbuing these spaces with just like you know all of this imaginal power or like I, there's something something really special about these things and yeah. uh, their their relation to everything uh, I, I want to point out like the Gainda bear 
It、uh-huh. is a very silly story. Per the reports, it was walking on two legs like a penguin wobbling around, and then it would like it would bore a hole in melons of people's orchards, and then scoop、Whoa. up the inside of the melon with its tongue and stuff like that. That that's what the people reported. Then there were reports that it would open up cans of biscuits and eat all the biscuits, or that it would steal a woman's Vegemite and eat the whole thing. So you must think、wow. if this is a real thing or if it's maybe a tongue-in-cheek thing. Uh, either way, it's great. Do you think there's something to like?、Uh, and I know there's weird shit everywhere, like super weird, no matter like where you look. But like, do you think there's something to、uh, the you know Australia housing some of the weirdest like known animals that their mythological、uh, animals have to be like even stranger or almost like like that 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 that、like、humor、whimsical. to it, whimsical. That's the word. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. You you know of the, the bunyip? Like nobody knows what the bunyip even looks like. Everybody has a different account of what it is. Yeah. Totally. Totally, and I mean, I don't know if it's actually true, but it seems like Australia had like all of the animals will kill the hell out of you. Like it seems like they're all very dangerous. So it's kind of cool to juxtapose juxtapose that with like the whimsical, mythical,、uh, mythological animals.、Mm-hmm. I, I, I、like、think、it. the Game of Bear will be also a very interesting episode. I thought you'd react now to the synchronicity because you told me a few times of the story of when you saw a displaced bear. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I, so yeah, I didn't, I couldn't remember if we talked about that on、uh, your show or not. But yeah, no, that is the first thing that popped into my mind, and I was just going to say that. Yeah, the、uh, so pretty much the month before、uh, COVID, January 2020, I was working in the city of Wilmington, which is the biggest city in Delaware. It's not a huge city, but It's big and like you know nothing. You see a lot of wildlife besides the、uh, stray cat, raccoon, every once in a while type deal. But、uh, we were working, and out the window we saw a big black bear walking down the road, and we're like, "That's got to be a guy in a costume or a suit or something." And we we ran outside, and a bunch of cops told us to get the fuck back inside because that's a real bear, and they don't know what the hell is going to happen. So so we kind of watched this bear go in and out of like a bunch of apartment buildings, front yards, and through the local grocery store, and like eventually found its way back into the woods, and you know it was never caught or captured. Just kind of went away, and I mean, Delaware is not supposed to have any bear population, so this was very, very strange. Like I've never once even thought about seeing a bear in Delaware while hiking, and we have some pretty like big state parks and stuff like that that connect to like some more rural lands up in Pennsylvania and stuff, but never even thought about seeing a bear until、uh, seeing one in the middle of a city. And I didn't think about how weird that was until after COVID and everything, and I was like, huh. That's a weird, weird little sign of strangeness to come. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys ever think of maybe attracting tourists by posting a, a money reward for the capture of the bear? <laughs> No, but I right afterwards made a coffee bag called the Della Bear and sold a bunch of coffee with a bear walking through a city in it. So I, I monetized it to <laughs> to the extent that I could <laughs>、um, because、uh, the residents of Gainda actually posted a reward for the capture of the bear. And you must、uh, think: is it like、uh, honest and genuine, or is it for marketing purposes and to attract tourism? But we'll go there when we do that episode. <laughs> All right. Well, I am excited for that. I I, I just lo- love the idea of this whole town being in on a joke for fifty fucking years. Yeah. And then in two thousand, <laughs> something again weird happens, and now you just don't know. What happens? You just don't know, and you know we briefly spoke about Doc Shields earlier, and、uh, when AP was telling me about the whole story, you know he claimed that all of his hoaxing worked, that the 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 phenomenon, these sea monsters actually showed up, but that was part of the deal, that like he had to hoax it to give up the credibility to make the magic work, and、oh. I wonder if there's something like that <laughs> going on in this town. <laughs> oh man, well when we do the Gainda beer, I'm surely I'm gonna look into that, maybe. Maybe there is something there. We'll see. Very cool. That's awesome. Okay, so for for the end,、uh, there's this one thing I wanted to mention. So the Wikipedia article and every cryptid wiki out there states that the ompax is a poisonous fish. Oh, and that it may be out there and whatnot. You know, now cryptid wikis are, are talking about it. But the thing is, I don't know where this poisonous thing even comes from. I think somebody just added it to Wikipedia, and everybody's copying and pasting it because I have the official research material here. I have Have Castelnau's original description. I have the debunking scientific paper from 1933. Nobody is mentioning、yeah. that this fish is poisonous. Yeah, if that was a part of the lore, you would think it would have、uh, played a factor in him eating it and all of that.
that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a part of the lore now because now exactly. the internet lore is all of this that I said and that it's a poisonous fish. And that's so appropriate for this to uh, copy and paste on and grow this tall tail taller. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's uh, The fish is an, now an amalgamation of lies. <laughs> <laughs> a chimera of a different sort yes yes so for the end can you tell my listeners where they can find you totally uh i have a podcast that i talk about the artwork i make every day it's called create magic uh and you can find all that and the art i make and shop patreon all that stuff at createmagicstudios.com and yeah i'm sure we'll you'll be hearing plenty more of vuk and i so just keep keep an eye out here <laughs> i'm thinking for tomorrow's daily episode you're gonna be saying oh vuk and I did this awesome, cool new episode about this and that. And then you're going to be creating art for this episode, like somewhere in December when I... <laughs> publish it i'll probably have something while we are talking so one of the things that i've been i've been trying to uh get better at you know podcasting in general like not not that it's something that like you i don't know i've been trying to think of how to focus more sometimes because my brain wanders a lot and like i'm part of what used to be a problem in school and like doodling helps a lot so i've been taking notes while we talk and like doodling and i already drew several versions of this uh lungfish and the uh, and the fun little ompack so i think something <laughs> cool will come of these little doodles from this conversation dude <laughs> and now, now you're gonna have to add a bear walking on two legs yes waddling like a penguin i wish the bear i saw i could say there was something strange or unbear like but it was just being a bear it was looking in garbage cans and like you know being a bear <laughs> yeah, yeah okay awesome. man uh th thank you for doing this this is like a fun little conversation i wanted to revitalize the unpacks because i did it for my old uh darwin's deviations show but you know in the style that i do that show like half of the show is just shenanigans between myself and the characters nothing to do with this actual story now we totally. dedicated like an hour-long episode to this story uh, revitalizing the myth um, maybe people will be interested there is a very very cool very intricate article i think it's called a fishy fish or something like that i'm gonna link it in my <laughs> episode description it goes into the history of all these people and even into the discovery of the real lungfish it's a very well researched article that's awesome oh, i'll definitely have to check that out okay man uh thank you very much and i'm gonna be slicing and dicing this abomination of an episode <laughs> throughout the <laughs> next month <laughs> It's very appropriate. I, I think you'll uh, hobble something beautiful together out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so until next time, until we uh, talk about the Gainda bear. Um, I am excited. Stay, stay safe, guys, and don't eat some dubious, smelly <laughs> seafood anywhere. I, I can't back that sentiment enough. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Vuk. Bye-bye.